Today, we delve into the deepest, darkest parts of Lake Pogagama, looking for something very big. No, no, no. It's not the Lake Pokegama monster. As far as I know, there isn't one. But some people call these monsters Big Northerns. Tom Newstrom, Hall of Fame angler and promoter, both on the state and national level, joins us today, and he loves to hunt down Big Northerns in Lake Pokegama. We talked about this several years ago. I think it's a topic worth revisiting. Tom, we think of you pretty much as a walleye guy, but uh, obviously as, as somebody who's lived in Minnesota a long time, you like to fish a lot of different species. Oh, yeah. You know, Kevin, you, you, as a guide, you have to. You know, I mean, uh, uh, I, I just can't tell you how many people now, which has changed, that they want to fish other species. They, they come from, like I booked a trip here the other day uh, with some people from Lafayette, Louisiana, and they've never caught a walleye or a northern pike, and they want to come here for fish for three days. And, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. I thought it was great, and I, I love the conversation I had with them. But there's other people, too. That, you know, it's not just walleyes. It's people like to bend the rod and get bit, you know, and, and, uh, and that we have some other species that we like to do. And, you know, for me, sometimes it's chasing walleyes all the time. It's kind of a nice, refreshing change. And, uh, you know, I, I like fishing pike. When I, when I get the chance, I like fishing northern pike. And that's what we want to talk about, uh, and that is uh, is fishing for big pike deep, particularly on Pokegama. And, again, we we talked about this several years ago. It's a great topic. Uh, tell us more about that. Well, you know, Pokegama is a very diverse body of water also, and um, I think uh, it has multi-species in it too. But one of the things that it has that the other lakes don't have around here is it has a very strong population of smelt. And everybody that fishes a lake that has smelt in it will always note that you have usually pretty deep water. Um, you know, it, it just it, it's a different kind of bait fish for these fish to chase around, and they are uh, protein filled. And usually, when you have smelt in a lake, you usually have a fairly good population of larger fish, which you know inadvertently usually is northern pike and walleye, so and lake trout. And Pokegum has got all three species, but. Um, I like fishing pike in the summertime um, deeper, you know, like, oh, when I say deeper, 20 to 30 feet. Wow. And uh, I like to look for them. I like to actually search for these fish. I don't just uh, drop a line on a spot. I actually go look for the fish before I fish. And how big do they get in Pokegama down there deep? Well, you know, we, we've caught several pike in that, you know, that 10 to 12, you know, as big as 15 Hmm. Uh, pound range a lot of fish a lot of nice fish like five to eight pounds so you know you're you're getting nicer fish you're not getting a lot of smaller fish once in a while you do but you seem to be uh, targeting uh, some bigger fish and they're a lot of fun to catch on a spinning rod i can tell you that i know i've got a couple customers that they come every year and that's all they want to do 
is they want to fish those pike. And we don't, I think we keep one or two fish and that's it. But it's fun and uh, we enjoy it. And um, it, it's really interesting how I look for these, uh, these fish with my, um, my electronics. I use down imaging off my hummingbird or, or my 2D graph and I look for them. But there's different places that these smelt are. And they like, uh, the smell kind of like areas that are, um, how would you call, um, their neck downs or trenches where they're coming from deep water into, uh, another deep water bay and they, they follow these, uh, these trenches. And, um, that's what they kind of use for, uh, moving back and forth. Now, whether there's current down there or not, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, people might say, well, they're like an underwater river. Well, they are to a certain extent, but they're, they're tight on both sides, a little shallower, and then they're deep in the center. So they kind of follow that contour. And a lot of times, if I know where these uh, these places are and I graph a bunch of schools of smelt, uh, I can tell you right now, it, the big northerns aren't going to be too far behind. Chasing down big northerns on Lake Pacagama. Tom Newstrom, my guest. We'll talk more on that topic next. Some people fish, some people don't. Those people are clueless. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Going after big northerns in the depths of Lake Pokegama. Tom Newstrom, my guest today. Tom, once you find those big northerns, what do you use to lure them? Jigs. Hmm. <laughs> I'm a jig. I like fishing them with jigs. I don't okay. throw them. Um, I like to sit right on top of them and jig them. If I see them, uh, if I find them, I'm jigging them. And, uh, you know, sometimes a half-ounce jig, three-eighths ounce jig uh, is what you want, want to be using. Fish as vertical as you can. And, you know, sometimes like uh, oh, a three- to four-inch shiner, a three- to four-inch sucker minnow uh, will get the job done. Sometimes just plastics, you know, where you're using uh uh, kind of a big plastic, maybe four to six inches. Uh, a lot of times that'll get their attention pretty good too. And, um, so it's, uh, you know, they're very, uh, inquisitive fish when they're, when they get bigger. They're, they're not as aggressive as you think they are. Uh, you think while you drop it down, they're going to bite it. Sometimes you got to fool them pretty good or you got to get their attention and sit on them for a few minutes before they bite. But when they bite, it's worth it. You know, it's a good battle and it's a lot of fun and, I know people enjoy it. Now, you're not going to catch the numbers sometimes that you do in shallow water. But, you know, if I'm after a bigger pike for a customer or something, then I'm going to fish the deep water. And there's several lakes in our area over here that have, uh, you know, bigger pike, and most of those fish are deep water fish too. Uh, Trout Lake in Coleraine is another one. It's got, you know, it's got some 15-pound pike in it. It's got some 20-pound pike in it. But they're all deep fish. You know, they're mostly all fish on the edges of deep water or, you know, up on a rock reef or a weed bed near deep water. And when I say deep water, you know, I'm talking 50, 60, 70 feet. So okay. those are things. If you want a big pike, then you got to find lakes that have that deep water. And, and again, as you noted, smelt probably doesn't hurt either. There, there was. Having smelt in the lake doesn't hurt either. Oh, no. No, it doesn't. It, no, because it's a great food source. It's a great protein. And that, the kegama does have that, but... You know, there again, it's not an invasive, but we don't want to introduce smelt in other lakes because right. it can create another another problem. So, um, you know, so Pacagama's got a lot of it's got a lot of bait fish in it, and it's got a lot of uh, 
It's got a lot of smelt in it, I can tell you that. And and they kind of, uh, they're in cycles. You know, sometimes uh, there'll be a lot of smelt for a few years, and then you'll have a die-off, and then all of a sudden they'll come back again. We had that happen about four years ago, and now they're back again. There's, there's a lot of smelt in the lake. So um, it's very diversified fishery. But if you want a big pike, uh, you can catch them shallow once in a while. But if you want a big pike, you've got to find lakes that have them, and you've got to fish a little deeper than you normally would. Okay. You know, um, Pacagama is just a very unique lake in, in a lot of ways. It's, uh, as you noted, got very deep areas, got a lot of different types of fish in there. But uh, it can be a tough lake to fish, if you, if, especially if you're not real familiar with it. Oh, yeah, it could be tough because of forage. There's a lot of forage in a lake, not just the smelt, but you got a lot of small perch, you got shiners, you know, so um, it's got a lot of forage in it. When you have a lot of forage, the bike can get tough. It's pretty clear water, so later on in the summer, there's a lot of guys who fairly well troll and crankbaits in the evening. But, um, I, you know, it's a, you can get them on, on a daytime bite, too, and you can get them rigging. You can get them pulling bonnet bouncers and spinners with a crawler, and, and you can j- get them jigging. And so there's ways to catch them, and, I mean, and that's on the walleye side. But when you talk about the pike, I'll tell you what, uh, you got to get that bait down to where these fish are. And uh, Sherry's Arm, which is the deepest bay in the lake, does have lake trout in it, and I know guys that go in there looking for these lake trout trolling with downriggers, and a lot of times down, you know, they'll be in 90 feet of water, down 55 feet they'll mark a fish, and then they'll troll past them, and they catch them, and it's a northern pike. So um, don't think that these fish are just exactly where I told you, because they can be out in that, you know, 90 feet of water down 50 feet if the food's there, and most often that's the smell. Well, you know, and even uh, taking away the the trophy aspect of northern pike, uh, they don't get a lot of respect. But uh, northern pike, if you know how to bone them, that, they're a great fish. They're tasty. Kevin, they're as good at eating fish as there is. If you learn how to take that wide bone out, uh, I don't think they're – anybody can argue with me, but I think they're as good at eating fish as I've ever had. Uh, big, flaky, you know, chunks of meat and uh, – you get the bones out, and, then, you know, nobody wants to eat a fish with bones in it anyway. But right. you take the wide bone, and you learn how to take care of those fish, and you'll have as good a eating as any, any fish that swims. So get over, get over the slime. Trust me, the northern yeah. is a t- good, tasty fish. Very, very much so. All right, well, if somebody wants to try to catch some of those deep, uh, deep northerns with you, uh, I know that uh, you're pretty booked up, but you've got some other guys that can help us out. Uh, how do we get a hold of you get something booked? Okay, give me a call at home, uh, 218-327-2312, or call me on my cell at 218-259-2628. And again, that big pike uh, bite is usually uh, July and August, and right around Labor Day it kind of changes a little bit. So it's about a month and a half to two-month situation, but it's really good uh, mid-July through the end of August. Tom Newstrom, Hall of Fame angler, joining me today on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. had some great conversations with him this year. Tom, we appreciate you taking time to talk with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. Up next, we quiz the aquatic biologist. Dr. Andy Hafes of Bemidji State is coming up. There are three seasons in Minnesota. Fishing, ice fishing, and hell on earth. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country.
Once again, time to ask the aquatic biologist, and our aquatic biologist was with us, Dr. Andrew Haves from Bemidji State University. Got a loaded one for you here, Andy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Is there any study or information out there on the correlation between specific amounts of shoreline development, like the number of docks or the number of beach properties, and lake or fish community health and development? Uh, Yes, there is. Uh, Some really good ones, actually, in Minnesota. Uh, Well, we like the answer. (laughs) Probably not. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there was a really good study done in Minnesota that really uh, took a series of lakes that had a range in, in development, and then they measured how much emergent plant vegetation there was. And as you went up that chain in development, there was a 66% reduction in the emergent, you know, lily pads and things that are sticking in the water vegetation. So that's not too surprising in fact, I've had a lot of students in my class that are interested in this topic, and they've even measured it on Lake Bemidji. And when you get a really well-developed section of shoreline, the vegetation in front of that typically goes away, or at least is reduced. I had another class uh, mate that did one with invertebrates, and the actual invertebrate composition changes as well. Uh, outside of the water, right, the land use, too, it, as soon as... At 40% of the watershed is changed to either urban or agriculture, then there are disturbances that happen in, in the watershed. The phosphorus dynamics change, and that's a huge risk for the systems as well. So uh, massive changes actually occur, and it's pretty well documented. And yet we have many lakes where there's, I mean, there's house after house after house ringing the entire lake. Well, there's huge benefits to the community to do stuff like that. So yeah. um, we don't we can't always or only think about just uh, the environmental aspects. We need to balance right mm-hmm. the benefits, economic benefits to the community with the consequences that are going to happen to the ecosystem. So I understand why that occurs, and we have gotten better at doing certain things. Right, we've connected a lot of these cabins in certain places onto city water instead of having septic systems. That's a huge step forward, right? Because as soon as one septic system fails, all of those nutrients are going into the lake instead. Uh, We can do a lot better, in my opinion, at not adding fertilizer on the lawns near lakes, right? We can also do things like not having the lawn go directly down to the lake shore. Yeah, there's been a big push for that to allow that uh, ring of uh, natural vegetation along. Huge, huge benefit there. And then if we can get landowners to have this mindset where a log in front of their land right in the lake is a good thing because you get to see the wildlife that are using it or the fish that are using it instead of a bad thing that it's interfering with their boat or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And same thing with the vegetation. Those would be big strides forward too. Is there any specific examples of where of, of of lakes that things have gone really bad at? Oh, I'm sure there there are. I just can't think of that off the top of my head. Okay. I mean, if you, I know if you head further south, I mean there are other things going on other than just lakeshore development. But typically, water clarity dec- decreases substantially as you head further south in Minnesota, right? Okay. Yes. Not only related to water, uh, you know, cabins and things like that. We've had, you know, since I've showed up here in Bemidji, we've had the south shore of Lake Bemidji get extremely developed, I think three or four new hotels, and then there's another development just outside of the lake, right, in the southeast corner there. And those are interesting things to think about. I know there are huge benefits to our community, like I said, uh, but 
this is a great fishery and that's why the community is great. So we have to make sure that we are, you know, not pushing the lake too hard. Yeah, it's it's definitely a balancing act, no question about it. Um, um, again, let's talk about Lakeshore Owner. What You mentioned a lot of them, but uh, what is the number one thing? Just letting that uh, natural development along the shoreline, is that a, would that be the number one thing a guy can do? Yes. Uh, well, the fertilizer is a big one too, right? Yeah. If, if you're fertilizing your lawn... And the lawn, anything that the lawn does not use, which is very tough for you to estimate as a landowner, right, to get it exactly perfect, that runs into the lake. And so that's a big impact. I could also, I mean, the buffer strip along the shoreline is a huge one as well because that can start to uh, use up some of those nutrients. Provides wildlife habitat and makes the shoreline more normal, right? I think... You know, if you have grass right down to the shoreline edge, there's no trees ever going to grow there, and that means there's no more trees ever falling into the lake right there. And if that's an important part of the lake ecosystem, which in most it is, that needs to be there as well. And even even simple things I've seen, you know, when you take your boat in and out, try to take the same path every time. That might prevent, you know, all the weeds, or the, not the weeds, the aquatic vegetation from being dislodged, so... I think uh, they're, and I don't know if people are still doing it. They're probably not supposed to, but I know a lot of people used to, you know, uh, try to get the rocks out, and try to get the weeds out, and clear out the water along their their area. Um, that can't help either. No, for sure. I mean, that is that's a very very bad thing. But you know, again, I understand that everybody wants to, the reason you buy a lake lot is so that you can swim and do things like that. But I just ask value the resource and value the the insects that are swimming around think they're neat right and look at them and look at the fish and everything that's using all of that and do you really need your whole frontage to be a beach or could you just have yeah. five feet of it right <laughs> i mean right so what do you really need and and make sure that you value the resource that is there in, the, in its natural state Aquatic biologist uh, from Bemidji State University, Dr. Andrew Hafes, joining us today. Andy, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Fish out, popcorn, yeah, country, country.